the Koi Gig Pod. I think all the concerns that we have obviously being that middle tier are very valid considering just how much we benefited from playing teams of a higher calibre going into our qualifiers. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports I'm prepared to end it if I can well, do, it then. Again. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <gasps> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now, welcome along Football Show Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent before he jets off to Qatar is with us Good evening, hello even Joe. When are you flying out? Well, I'm going to Malta on Friday for the Ireland-Malta game, which, of course, is the event in world football that everyone is actually talking about this week. Um, and then on to Qatar on Monday. Okay. When is the Malta game? Sunday. Okay. Sunday evening. Okay. Yeah. It'll be better than Qatar-Ecuador. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. Yeah, I mean, cleaner, you know. Um, Much cleaner. Um, but that's complicated. It's what it's, it's the essence of international football is um, is Ireland playing Malta. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's yeah, that's that's Sunday evening. That's that's sort of um, a sort of a weird day for the. I think it's back to back on RTE. I, I presume it is. You know that the show is sort of the, the World Cup opener and then let's go to Malta for Ireland's friendly. It's almost like a, a real here is what you could have won type thing. Marcella Mora Irahu will join us later on in the show it's that lovely time now World Cup time where we start reaching out across the world so Marcella's in Argentina Argentina have won 35 games in a row they have never arrived at a World Cup so at peace and so confident and so hopeful so have they won 35 in a row they're two off Italy's all-time record. Oh God! I thought, it's funny now. Like you get into that research mode, I was in sort of ta- thinking they were unbeaten or something. They actually won them. Oh, sorry, unbeaten. Did it, I say won? He did say win. Bit of a difference. Still though, now still a good record. I mean, like I think there isn't one of the theories about it is though. I think Tim Vickery's been making this point. Maybe amongst others, maybe haven't played a huge amount of European sides in that run. Um, but still, I mean, that includes sort of. It does include winning the Copa America uh, and it sort does. of. Eking it out, you know, but um, the but you consider, um, and again, and like this is the thing, you know, you 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 no matter how much you try to keep on top of everything going on in world football, the the sort of vagaries of qualifying campaigns and sort of South America and the evolution of teams. For me, anyway, personally, it's just it's a it's a four year thing. Yeah. But Argentina were such a rabble in twenty eighteen. Well, that was Jorge Sampaoli. I don't want to steal preempt the piece, yeah, thunder. But uh, Lionel Scaloni was the assistant manager in that 2018 cycle where Argentina were knocked out in the last 16. A rabble. And he was given the job on an interim basis. You know, you are Sampioli's assistant, so just mind the house for a few months and we'll sort something out. Four years later, he went in and sorted things out better than anybody had envisaged and he's still the manager. And what's interesting about Scaloni is he's in his 60s now. He had never been a manager of a team in his life before. Assistant manager all the way. And then four years ago became interim manager and hasn't long back. Man, is it what was Yogi Love's managerial prowess before he took like he was under Klinsman mm. and then he sort of took over and became a sort of a, a dynasty. Yeah. Um, led by him. I'm not sure how he managed before actually. I've no idea. I'm off the top of my head there, but it's funny how you just land someone in that role and, and suddenly it fits. You're a horseman. Yes. A horse person. Uh, I, well, I mean, in, well, not, not a horse whisperer, but I, I would be fond of the horses, On the sport, the and also the animal. South American-European divide, 
Yeah. Tell me if this works for you. I'm Go not on as firm a ground in horse racing. Okay. But so, as Vickery says, we've, for the first time in half a century, we arrive at this World Cup where there is a genuine uh, mystery as to how the European sides and the South American sides are faring against each other. They haven't played each other very often on account mm. of COVID. We saw Argentina beat Italy in La Fanilissimo thingy. Three yeah. But I mean, who knows what that is. Uh, so this strikes me as uh, South America can be Willie Mullins and Europe can be... Who's the... Paul Nichols. Paul Nichols. I would think the opening rounds, there'll be a degree of... Cheltenham. Cheltenham day one. Which yard is in better shape here? Imagine all the South American sides beat all the European sides in the first round of group stages. We'll be saying... Willie Mullins boys suddenly Brazil Argentina their stock will rise and there'll be a question mark over the European side I tell you what I've heard worse analogies than that <laughs> <laughs> now thank you Dan to be clear I've heard better ones but I mean but like to, to, to take that point to the end it's like you'll watch Ecuador now you've got a, a line into Qatar Ecuador because if Ecuador suddenly do a job in Qatar it's like the South American form is really strong but like Qatar, we've, we've home team you know the team like you you sort of every time you say no they're not going to be that good now in fairness South Africa went out didn't they like mm-hmm. you know it, it does it does happen but you, you always assume there's going to be that extra uh, percent and I mean okay maybe not against Ecuador but I mean the conditions and various elements you know will be yeah. it might help them but um, I see your point yeah okay. we'll push on we're going to talk some England later on so we're trying to get into the football now Dan and I have some uh, things to say about England I'm sure Marcelo will talk Argentina Philippe has been on the show talking France and tomorrow Mr Tim Vickery will come in and talk Brazil and some of the other South American sides Ronaldo I mean yeah like how do you how can we get on with, with, the, with the business of the World Cup without the business of a person who might believe they are bigger than it let's keep this brief because yeah interest levels I think are waning if they were even yeah. all that interested to begin with so Piers Morgan is continuing to seed out the clips he knows how to generate buzz I'll give him that so it's going to be across two shows on Wednesday and Thursday I thought it was all going to be in one batch much of last night's show was Piers talking to Graeme Soonis in studio and Henry Winter as well about all things Ronaldo so it's Ronaldo week on that show as you might imagine the latest clip concerns Ronaldo on Gary Neville and Wayne Rooney. We will have a listen now. Critics has been... One of your biggest critics has been, and I'm surprised about this... Me too. Wayne Rooney. For example. Who you played with for many years, very successfully, and were good friends with him. And yet all this year, three or four times, he's come out and attacked you in the media. Pierce, I don't understand. Uh, You should ask this question to him, but... I don't know. Um, I don't know why you criticize me so bad. Or is it jealousy as well, perhaps, that you're still playing and still in the probably, probably right, because he finished his career with 30s, so I'm still playing high level. I'm not gonna say that I'm looking better than him, which is is, is true, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that it's, is inarguable. I mean, there's no contest. It's, it's hard to listen that kind of criticize and negative about people who play with you, for example, Gary Neville as well. Yeah, I mean, Gary Neville, you blanked him the other day uh, on the pitch and he looked quite upset, actually. Um, 
because he obviously likes being your friend, but he's been pretty critical of you as well. When the you people have can, have, can have his own opinion, but they don't really know what's going on, for example, inside the, the, the training ground and Carrington area or even my life. They should listen not only one point of view, they have to listen my point of view as well, because it's easy to, to criticize, but if you don't know the old story, it's, it's, it's easy, you know. But it's, Pierce, as I said before, it's, it's part of... Are they of still friends of yours, or do you have a line where... They are not my friends. Do you feel a bit betrayed when they do that, because, yes. you, because you play together? It's easy, it's easy to criticise. I don't know if you have a job in television that they must criticise to, to be more famous. I really don't understand. Do you think they use your name a bit to... I think they take advantage of that because they are not stupid and I really understand and I have to carry on with my life with criticize, criticize or, or when the people speak good about you but it's hard when you see people who was in the dressing room with you criticizing that way it must hurt it's not good yeah. yes I did but not hard I, I, I'm not gonna be more slim I'm not gonna sleep bad because of the criticize but it's not good to listen that disappointing a little bit, yes. Mm. Disappointing. So Ronaldo there, happily being led by Piers every step. Do you think he's jealous? Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> terrible, really, isn't it? But I mean, and, and also, like, this concept, I mean, unfortunately, are they still your friends? I mean, how many footballers do you talk to? I mean, how many of them even end up with any friends out of the game? I'll tell you who he still loves. Roy Keane, best captain ever. That's mm. coming your way tomorrow. Rio Ferdinand, a neighbour, very, very good man. That they supported me publicly on television? Irrelevant. There's a bit of a, yeah, something of a parallel there. I can't figure out what, what puts that all together, yeah. Do you know what struck me as well? The way Piers Morgan referenced you blanked Neville the other day suggested that was very fresh in the memory. And I heard Piers Morgan interviewed and he was asked when this interview with Ronaldo happened. And he's, it was about to answer and then he said, I'm not going to reveal that. So that would suggest to me this was recorded very shortly after he blanked Neville a couple of weeks ago and they've been sitting on it for these past two weeks for maximum impact. Yeah. Not that that's a crucial aspect of the story, but this isn't just some kind of emotional, I must do this interview, this very weak peers and put it out there. This is strategic in every step of the way. Yeah, like maybe not crucial in terms of the bottom line, but probably crucial to his employers in the context of how they deal with this. So most of his Manchester United teammates will have five weeks to cool down if they're unhappy and ever see Ronaldo again. The kitchen staff will have five weeks to cool down till they see Ronaldo again if they see him again. The man who has the most glorious temper in world football had 24 hours to cool down. He had not cooled down. Mm. Bruno Fernandes handshake eight. It lacked the naked disdain of a Brian Cody at his best, uh, but it was still very striking. Do you think he was angry or disappointed? Angry. Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, well, no, sorry, yeah, but I mean, in terms angry. of the delivery of the handshake and the stare, uh, like, I mean, he, did, did, he still did shake his hand. I think angry, but Ronaldo is such an alpha, especially in that dressing room, and it's the World Cup, so I think that's Fernandez creating as much incident as you could possibly dare on the eve of the World Cup. I, I'm sure you don't have the answer to this question, but, I mean, uh, have we established why there was a Canberra crew there for the moment? They weren't anticipating that moment. I guess it's World Cup. Behind the, the scenes, like you know, we're in the dressing room, yeah, where they are. Teams but, I mean, arriving, it's all, it's all good fun, you know. But they were in the, were they in a dressing room? Sort of. A locker room? Maybe like, when's the last time you saw, you know... 
It's like their training camp base, you know. I, w- yeah. I would think national media are given that kind of nice access across this week, but they weren't anticipating that moment. Like it's absolute gold to get it. It is amazing. We yeah. would have we would have speculated. I wonder what Fernandez's reaction was, and we would have said, "Ah, it's probably fine." Turns yeah. out, wasn't the twelve-second news cycle being what it is? The handshakes all news. We're now onto the training ground today where the cameras were locked on Fernandez and Ronaldo. Just, uh, I mean, they were waiting for some part of the session to continue some drill or other. And they were circling each other's space without getting anywhere near each other's space or having any kind of eye contact. Now, a lot's been read into that, to be fair. Could be normal. Most of the players weren't making eye contact with each other. There was a degree of waiting around. But it's going to be a lot of fun in Portugal for the next couple of weeks. Oh, I mean, like, you know, it's... it's uh I suppose, like, I mean, the whole idea of this tournament being so close to the end of, like, the sorry, not to be sandwiched in the middle of the sort of the main club season. Um, but, to, I mean, the, the extent to which the Premier League soap opera is, like, all consuming in football now, it's sort of sort of ridiculous, but that it could so sort of nakedly sort of um, overshadow, like, um, the sort of the football aspect of this World Cup mm. at this point. Um yeah, I mean it's. I don't know. I I always you always try to be a little bit sort of a bit skeptical and think you know footballers are so pragmatic that they just get on with it eventually because you know do, do, does does uh, is Bernard Fernandez that affronted by all of this really you know in in the sense that like it's a selfish gig where everyone ultimately like you know looks after themselves to some degree and he wants to win a World Cup and you get over it but. Um, I don't know. It just feels like uh, it feels like it was more believable than maybe some some sort of charade stuff you can see in in both good and bad in front of the cameras. What struck me about it, the big conclusion that you could draw is this: Bruno Fernandez does not think Ronaldo has been betrayed or mistreated in any way. That for me is the headline takeaway. If he had seen Ronaldo screwed around by the manager, if his feeling was the club had shown Ronaldo a lack of empathy over his children, if he had seen various things which suggest, yeah, you know what, he's been a bit messed around, he's entitled to have a bite back, then I think there would have been a warmer handshake. Yeah, no, I think, and let me, you've, so you've Bruno Fernandes who obviously spoke out about Qatar the other day, you know, sort of used his um, platform to try and sort of, I don't know, send out a message of, of some degree, so maybe he's He's, I don't know. I still feel like you're analysing a clip here, and and could have something different have happened thirty seconds later. So that little note is there, but you're sort of thinking, is this someone who's like, um, a bit emboldened to think, yeah. yeah, I've got my own voice now, and I'm not afraid to use it. As for how it all plays out, big picture. I mean, I've talked too much about this already with Pat Nevin last night and Mark Critchley last night, so I've I've given my opinions at length. The short version is, it's just a case now of how club and player manage the exit plan. It's over. Jason Burt's reporting there in the Irish Independent and uh, across the water as well that really the big question is does the remainder of his contract get paid out? As in, I don't know how long he has to run but he's on half a million a week plus. Does he get that? Clubs say absolutely no Mm. way. But legally they have to be able to stand over that so the club are investigating whether they can get rid of him without giving him any more money is is the latest. Yeah, I mean, it's just it all comes down to that, right? Yeah. It comes down to the nature of the handshake, and um, the club don't want. Well, I don't know, I don't know what's happening, but like the club naturally will not want to pay out a big amount of money. Although the club is probably still selling a fair bit of an Aldo merchandise even this week, it's say no matter what happens, you know. Um, so, yeah, like 
football like even at that level eventually there's always a point you know there's always a number it's like yeah. you cover the live golf thing or something there's always a number they'll, they'll hit a number eventually because mm. presumably it can't end any other way no I don't think so FAI Cup final at the weekend on uh, Sunday so a 4-0 win for Derry against Shelburne we had Duffer in a suit it had all the trappings in the build up people were I would think accentuating the fact that across the four games there was only one goal on aggregate between these sides Derry had won two games there'd been a draw Shelburne had won a game in in a bid to not sell it in a, in a dishonest way but oh, you know I think in you yeah. know since this is a cup final anything can happen and, and they've had close run encounters before it was that was the blue corner versus 25 point gap in the league and the latter definitely won out it was more that kind of a game yeah, listen, I thought Derry would win, but I thought they'd win after extra time. Like That was my sort of prediction. I thought Anyone can predict extra time in an FA Yeah, well, nine out of the last 12, but I thought they'd wear them down. Um, but it was the opposite. I mean, like even from the first minute, there was a sense of, yeah, like this pitch will play to their strengths. Like Derry like, are a good football inside, and they play on a, on a bad footballing pitch at home. And their home form has actually killed them this year. And their actual record, you know, to get to a good venue, decent surface is, is pretty good. And really, they used the width of the pitch well with some selection decisions. They passed it well. And Shells, the underdog, needed to do everything right. Like, they needed to execute everything perfectly. And I think I sort of made the point, it was almost a bit like sort of watching like a League of Ireland club in Europe um, against sort of a superior team where they're trying to do everything right, but a quality just went through you know you can have a game plan to do it but sometimes you're just execution of some of these tasks and like they conceded bad goals but they were patently the second best team you know and they'll be annoyed about the goals they conceded but it wasn't against the run of play or you know the, the, the 25 point difference was reflected in the the football but um, yeah so different kind of cup final you know sort of a flat mm. second half whereas often it's sort of it's, it's a bad first half and then it builds towards a dramatic conclusion sort of inevitably it went the other way but um, felt over at half time it did honest. yeah but it was I mean I have to say I'm not sure if it sort of has come, come across sort of on the say on the TV or whatever but um the real sense of Derry being a bit of a rebirth of Derry City was very visible around the ground, like just in the stadium. I don't know, they don't give necessarily the breakdown of like say Club A v Club V, but like um, there was a serious Derry attendance and like, they were in cup finals in 2012-2014 and they reckon it's like double the travelling support from then, like various combinations of factors you know a lot of popular local players back local owner now billionaire backing them post-covid this crowd spike all these various things Murray Higgins tempted back you know from the Ireland staff but that club when it booms like it, it really it's huge in its locality yeah. and uh, its potential is sort of limitless really so um, it was a great day for them yeah maybe the start of a serious era kicking off Ireland-Norway Thursday Erling Haaland played his part he allowed a fair portion of tickets to be sold before he withdrew oh god yeah I really hope now like as I said I'm not like how, how can we talk about Ireland instantly talk to like Stephen Kenny debates but it's just like I think there has to be some acknowledgement that like a, lar- a large number of tickets sold for this game is not just a reflection of interest in the Irish team which it is I mean I think the crowds have been excellent and that's one of the strongest things in Kenny's corner but there's no doubt a lot of the advanced ticket sales would have had a Haaland angle to it and um all the promotion of this game, any discussions, I think, publicly and privately, people in the FBI were having around this game were very Haaland orientated. Well, every parent in the country was asked the question, please, yeah. can we? Please. Yeah. So, no, no. what kind of team is Stephen Kenny going to play? 
Yeah, um, probably like from 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 the the stuff so far this week. No, no real like joint clues, but I think just more so listening to what Stephen Kenny said over the last period of time. You know, around the draws and in general, he was cold on the idea of doing massive experimentation in this window. I think his his whole point is now. I mean, like Ireland are playing France in March. Like you know, a big game. They might be friendly before, but effectively, you know, the next gathering for this group is France coming to town, and as a result, it's his thing is they've built a team towards a particular style, identity, formation. I don't think you're going to see. Uh, let's just try out sort of three, four, five, six players here. I think it actually it'll be as strong as possible against Norway. Maybe in Malta Sunday, the game that will stop the world. Um, it'll be a little bit different, but I think in Norway you'll see. I suppose close to whatever you think the Irish strongest eleven may be. Okay. We're going to take a short break. We're going to talk some England in just a few moments' time. Marcelo Moreira is going to join us as well. This uh, football show to talk Argentina, 35 games unbeaten ahead of the World Cup. Our football coverage and off the ball brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Back in one moment. Football on off the ball. With Sky. Watch big games from the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. This is News Talk. Welcome back. World Cup starts on Sunday, Qatar, Ecuador. I'll be honest with you, Dan. My first thought there was, well, I'm skipping day one. Do you want to see the ceremony? No, I mean, it's not all part of the story in some ways. I'll be skipping day one. Uh, My one hope for the World Cup is David Beckham is forced to be at stadiums and is booed roundly every time he's shown on camera. When's that? That's increasingly becoming my main hope for this World Cup. When's that? Isn't there a comedian that's going to shred 10,000 uh, quid if, if he doesn't? Beckham doesn't well, renege on the deal, yeah. Has he put a date in it? Joe Lysett, isn't it? Or, Eve yeah. of the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm seeing he's getting quite a backlash as well that of all the stunts to pull, you shredding 10 grand's helping nobody right now. Yeah. I suppose it but is. It, it has to be a stunt to generate the headline grabbing one. Yeah. Uh, Beckham is coming under massive pressure at the moment online. Whether he's aware of any of that, I don't know. I he don't is. know. Like he, like he's got such a team around him. Like how could he not be? Yeah. Aware of it, you know. I wouldn't say he's against searching his name the odd time. Uh, oh my God! It'd take him a fair bit of time, wouldn't it? Just do the top tweets. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah, like you know, turn off your. Uh, you know, just you know, close friends only sort of mentions or whatever. Verified or something. Yeah. Although even that's not pretty at the moment. He's no. getting it from everywhere. So Qatar, Ecuador is on the Sunday. And then Monday, one o'clock. It is the nice stage Look for all the ills of this World Cup. We've talked about them a lot. It is at the nice stage where it's now so close that I'm starting to think about the structure of my week next week, even from a work point of view. So one o'clock on Monday, England will uh, get things uh, rolling. They play Monday, Friday they have USA, Tuesday they have Wales. So uh, first up on Monday, one o'clock kickoff. There is a now or never a quality to the Gareth Southgate situation. Gary Lineker, for instance, in quite a few of the papers is talking about how Gareth's earned the right to fail, which I think is a very interesting uh, framing of the situation. There is a sense that Southgate is too negative, that they're not on the right track and that the kindest thing you can say is, well, he's earned the right to make a mess of this. <laughs> he's earned that right. And, you know, we, we, we've we've talked about his achievements at length. World Cup semi-finals, the draw was definitely very kind. Euros final and penalties, although tactically really outdone by Mancini in the final in particular, and very, very safe for the rest of the tournament. And, and publicly, he's explained why he's so safe. He thinks it is the way to play tournament football. I mean, in his defence... It is worth reminding yourself just how bad England have been at 
World Cups past 2014 so before he got to the semi-final yeah. Roy Hodgson group stages kind of forget Roy oversaw it we didn't get out of our group campaign 2010 round of 16 as good as it got memories of Mesodozel scampering down the line and Gareth Barry helpless yeah, Frank Lampard I was there as I say yeah. Yeah. so that was an embarrassing day 02 and 06 the best that the golden generation managed with quarterfinal and then 98 which I think lives in the memory because it was such an epic game against Argentina you could be fooled into thinking that was deeper in the tournament that was round of 16 and then of course 94 not there so that is the modern history that Southgate's competing with so semi-final and European final as negative maybe as it's been as conservative he has earned the right to fail Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think I mentioned previously that that documentary, the Italian the Italian ninety documentary, which would have finished last night, and like it was, it's around, it's pretty much around England's nineteen ninety campaign, and even the coverage of the semi final, and it was pointed out like, you know, in nineteen ninety, like this is the first time England have reached a World Cup semi final outside of their own country. Yeah. So I mean, the, you've basically covered the rest of you've gone back to ninety four, but every other tournament prior to that, prior apart from sixty six, they never met it any further than never met it to the final four. Now they've done a final. Four and a final of the Euros. Yeah. I mean, it's um, like uh, history will be kind no matter what happens. I think, um, yeah, but it here. is interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure you picked up on the sense that fans have really turned in Southgate. Oh yeah, we're like the outsiders who are commenting from afar and saying things like, "Well, Martin O'Neill." Could have done a better job, really, with Ireland. That's very true. It's well, you always feel it more when it's your own side in some way, because ultimately, like you, you always think of the possibilities of what could be with this team, you know. And I, I don't know. I think, I suppose, with Southgate, it's not as if he's gone from being like the hero Gareth to being questioned. I think there would have obviously been some dissenting voices, even when he made it all the way to the the Euros final, pointing out, well, you know the what about some of his tactical decisions when they were, you know, they were ahead, you know, and, and there was a negativity. They did play pretty much all of their games at home, apart from one in that tournament. Like, you know, you, you can spin it in whatever way you want, but um, I know what you're saying about earning the right to fail. Like, Erlinger said it. Yeah, like, well, sorry, what Lindiger is saying about this, that, I don't know, I think part of the World Cup build-up this year is, like, where were you different? Like, we are immersed in the Nations League, whereas you see with the likes of England and France and a couple of the bigger nations, like, they're, they're, they're almost I don't know it's, it just isn't a big deal in their world and they've used it to sort of experiment do a, a few different things now they've had horrendous results I mean, the yeah. French ones have been worse than England's well, um, England relegated hasn't gone down well and there was definitely in one of the more recent games where they were losing 2 or 3 nil to Germany at Wembley and they came back spectacularly I mean they were just electric then for about 15 minutes and it was a 3-3 draw but I dare say if they hadn't had those electric 15 minutes there would have been serious debate in the aftermath. So it's been it's been yeah. that kind of a situation bubbling away. Actually, sorry, the, the results actually have been worse than France. Now to remind me of yeah. the, the the Hungary uh, stuff, but um, it feels like though I do I do see the point about why like he he's he has an ethos. He believes in something, yeah. and actually, when you see him in the last couple of weeks, like he brings Madison into the squad that no one really expects him to do. You're thinking, are you are you sort of reacting to like? Uh, criticism here or is this what you believe you know like we've had this with Grealish at times like how much does he really believe in Grealish said when in it comes his, down to it he said in his press he conference he had decided a month ago Madison was in the squad mm. didn't say it publicly but he, that's what he said in his press conference I, I, I go back and forth on his approach like I think that very negative tournament football Trent Alexander-Arnold can't play for me in a knockout game that's not going to age very well in between cycles 
or they're going to perform very well in between cycles. When England are playing teams, they should be beating routinely. Yeah. So there is, and, but I do see the logic that we're going to be really tight, we're going to be really conservative, and we're going to pick teams off. And yeah, it's not super expansive, but I, there is a logic in that approach at tournament football, and it's less exciting for the other ninety percent of the job. I mean, if you think of the Euros last year, one of the real talking points was Harry Kane's form. His, yeah. he, he was searching for form for much of those Euros and never really uh, lit on fire. But he pitches up here. I know Conte has said he's fatigued, which is a worry, I'm sure. But he's he's at his peak age at 29. He's two behind Rooney's uh, record of 53. He has scored 14 goals and 23 for Spurs. And he's often a slow starter to a season. So he started by his standards really well. I mean, England last summer playing defensively. The only real difference this year will be that I would think... Calvin Phillips will come out and Bellingham will go in but will still be asked to be every bit as disciplined for the most part as Calvin Phillips uh, was but an inform Harry Kane massively increases how dangerous they are Yeah absolutely see if you have like sort of a certain degree of quality at the top end of the pitch like you can you can get away with sort of um, you know a degree of organisation elsewhere it's just at times like as you said it's the, it's the overall English sort of the, the parts all fused together I mean now you have a situation with England where you talk about that but it's actually there's real concerns about the form and sort of quality of their defence you know and yeah. their capability to make individual mistakes is there so if you're you know if you become a team that your fundamentals suddenly become a weakness for you yeah. then that's sort of a, that that's a problem it's true you know? I mean, for a lot of the Euros so the team people are guessing at the 11 they'll go with come Monday Pickford and goal back three seems to be order of the day because they don't have centre-halves in good enough form. Stones, Dyer and I would guess Harry Maguire and then Trippier will get the nod at right wing back. Shaw, left wing back. Bellingham and Rice sit. Those seven won't budge very far. And then it will be up to I'm presuming Mount, Foden, Kane with Sterling off the bench. You three yeah. do your stuff. Now, occasionally, look, Shaw got forward, scored the goal in the final, but in the main, through a lot of that tournament, even their wing-backs didn't offer very much. It, was, must, yeah. it was, you three do your thing. You'd imagine Saka will, will, will have a role to play in some shape or form. Yeah, but like, yeah you'd imagine he has the potential to, to be involved. And Bellingham is a big thing for them in the sense of being a, a better all-round midfielder than, than Phillips, you know. And that's Might clearly, release him a bit. Yeah and, yeah, and he just has a better better sort of skill set, potentially. And like Phillips, obviously, has been carrying injury. Yeah. Kyle Walker's sort of been carrying injury as well. Like he's sometimes a, a sort of very effective sort of option for them, even in the, in the back three, you know, to give them that sort of bit of pace in the back three as well too so there's just a few but you know Eric Dyer's form lately you kind of you're looking at him going hmm you know so like there's 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 one of these teams actually where you know the way across the tournament you see things changing and I think with the form of one or two of the players you've mentioned there you wouldn't be surprised if by the end of it there's a sort of a different set of characters coming to the fore I mean and ultimately with this like it comes down to the draw right I mean you can talk about sort of the the how you sort of shape and how you see a team looking but they're in that group of what Wales Iran and the USA and USA are capable enough like they've got some good players but it's still a group where England will fancy themselves Wales arguably coming towards the end of a of a cycle in terms of the age profile of some of their better players and then they're sort of paired up with that um, like potentially Senegal in the round of 16 but, and if Sadio Mane is not there like there's just you know you can see them get to the quarterfinals here yeah. you know what I mean and then, to and then they're a team who in a knockout game have the capability to 
Well, that's when, that's when Gareth Southgate will be turning around to all the moaners who yeah. will suddenly be saying, well, it's important we keep things tight for the first 15. And he'll be saying, that's what I'm trying to do for the last four years. Yeah. Keep things tight's why I'm here. But it's, but the only thing about it is, is like, I mean, these these opening games are significant because they said they just have the the errors they have in their ranks and the sort of slight feeling of, like, is the confidence you know a bit shaky in the defensive areas like yeah. what if they found themselves in the back foot you know what if they find themselves suddenly in a situation where it's like potentially Holland they're facing somewhere along the way you know yeah, well early that, that's, you know, where, that's, that's where it gets tricky yeah you know? there's two schools of thought there in a sense you could argue well we're built to be on the back foot that's what this team is made for it's to be on the back foot and to pick you off but if they go behind in a big game, their ability to chase, I think, comes majorly into question. And there'll be an anxiety in this England team because they know they won't have loads of goals in them. So you go a goal down with that kind of approach. And that for Southgate uh, will be the most damning exit. In some respects, if England get knocked out in the quarterfinal or semi-final, losing 1-0, that's where there'll be a real sense a manager could have made the difference. Yeah. Like Brazil are going to pitch up Akin to Claude McAuley in the Galactico days, looking at everybody ahead of him with their hands on their hips as the opposition break, saying, come on, Claude, do your thing. Yeah. Brazil will basically turn around to Casemiro and saying, there you go. Five of us up here, you need to stop this. Yeah. So what wins out will decide Southgate's fate. Yeah. And, and obviously, if you play an attacking brand of football, you have a certain moral, well, look, we played the game the right way, it just didn't work out for us. Whereas bombing out, not quarter-final stages playing defensive football with Grealish on the bench yeah. Sterling or Foden on the bench Madison on the bench not to mention Saka that will be um, tarnishing to Southgate's mm. legacy Yeah I and mean, it's going to be warm as well too like there's the degree of control you need to maintain Harry Kane's tiredness is a big thing I think with England as well too yeah. or supposed tiredness like I mean the whole plan does revolve around him like there's, there's no avoiding that and to the point where they've done very little experimenting without him you know if that, if that suddenly becomes a problem then it's like They've well, Rashford they or they've Callum Wilson Yeah and the different you know, sort of Rashford, different sort of skill set, and and Wilson, okay, he's there as the alternative, but he's an inferior version. You know, so it's it's sort of, yeah, like it's it's I I, I understand like you sort of you always end up sort of thinking with 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 these teams well, and I've sort of said there with France, like you look at their form this year, and it's like you sort of assume, yeah, maybe this wasn't that big a year for them. They're going to peak at the right time. And you, you sort of, it just becomes a thing that it's your it's a hunch that you have there that you assume like maybe maybe form is just the form here maybe they're just maybe it's over maybe it's gone you know maybe it's just the voice has has worked for a period of time and then that life cycle reaches an end like you talk about Martin O'Neill Martin O'Neill had had some campaigns where his way worked yeah. and it was fine but then when the wheels come off once they just sort of come off completely yeah. and that's always the slight. Fear that you would have the can can a team who sort of ships forward home to Hungary's like talk about winning a yeah a World Cup six months later. Very true. As Gary Neville asked Ian Hislop, is it coming home? Um, I would say it's not. Yeah, no. I would say so too. I think. So, where are you staying in Qatar? By the way, as a final thought. Uh, so not to be sort of flippant about it um, but Qatar is so small that I'm sort of vaguely in the centre but I'm not entirely sure where it is I've, you were in Brazil right you probably had the similar to previous terms you would have planned everything out a degree in advance I'm going to be here I'm going to be there I'm in, in a central enough place for the entire competition I haven't really sat down and looked at the logistics of where I am geographically because you sort of 
you don't need you to a point. Like you're yeah. sort of going to get there and figure out what. Are you in Doha? I'm in Doha. Yeah. Is everyone yeah. in Doha? Pretty much, there's. I think obviously there's there's one stadium that's a little bit out of town, and I don't know if people are sort of staying around that area. I think a couple of teams have bases out there, but yeah, no, I'm in Doha. Sorry to answer it's a the question. A bit like uh, an Olympic Games where you're in a city, really, as opposed to certainly my sense of Brazil was was meeting people at games, other journalists, and saying things like, I "Haven't seen you in ten days. What you've been up to?" Hundred percent. This is like the Rio Olympics as opposed to the Brazilian World Cup. Yeah, no, it's it's more like an Olympics or like a, a summit or something like you know web summit thing where like a lot of people are all in the same sort of area, you know. And well, it won't be that bad. I know. Well, this, <laughs> I know this World Cup's grim and everything, but you know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> um, but like there, there is. Um, yeah, there is that that sort of slightly unusual aspect to it that. It's um, yeah th- that whole travel angle and all these things okay. and you know. Do you team, have to apply for accreditation for games? You know what games you're going. To I play? have, but they've left it pretty flexible because I, I, I don't know was it because just uh, people they know people can leave it so late. You know, it's sort of um, you can actually change two days before. You can do two days. You can do two games in a day, which I'm looking to do on a couple of occasions. Well, this in a way, and I, I don't think any journalists are are making a big play of this or jumping up and down about this because people have so many misgivings about this tournament, but for journalists it will be the World Cup of a lifetime in that the possibility of seeing two games in a day previously impossible but the thought for some journalists to go and see a one o'clock game and then have a bit of food and write their match report and go to a seven o'clock game I mean it actually in that sense is, is a nice experience for lots of journalists but it's <laughs> yeah. very hard to even say that out loud for you I would yeah think. like you just can't like you can't and like I mean, and and to be honest about it, that's also because maybe there's been so little focus on the football really is that mm. certainly in my head a lot of the stuff you're looking at going into it has is, is not really been about the matches or the tournament or who can play. It's more like how are you going to approach this and that. Is and it because you don't want to get asked to write two match reports? <laughs> no. If the Irish Independent are listening, you could do that. Well, actually, Joe, we don't. We we, we very rarely like you know focus on the generic match report anymore. It's well, more indeed. about the stuff. It's the stuff around the games and plotting out where you can where you can find people. But even sometimes going off the beaten track, you're guaranteed to sort of track down yes. someone. Whereas here, so I think work wise, probably going to be more challenging than do it may appear. Then there's two days. Then there's sort of two games a day paradise uh, that it could be portrayed as, which I don't think that's going to be. The no, case, I'm sure. Small violin here. And very there's, small. There, well, there's very as, various aspects to reporting this when you're not following a team. So in 14, you and I think I'm alone met up with Martin O'Neill. I'm sure there are aspirations to track down Stephen Kenny. Those kind of pieces as well. Yeah, no, I tracked down O'Neill in Russia as well in 2018, and um, yeah, Stephen Kenny's out there for five days. Yeah, you'll always see what you can do like that, and that's what you see the Scottish media out there trying to track down the Scottish manager. That's part of it, you know. There's various people involved that you try and source and locate and often like as you yeah, mentioned previously like your travel itinerary plays a big part in that yeah. whereas now it's more probably hotel hunting Kevin Caban's out there he's staying reasonably Tra- close to me track him yeah. down if you can I, I have a feeling he's in a, he's staying in, a, in the hotel of one of the top teams I can let you tell him that himself one of the oh who uh, I think you might be in the Brazilian one okay, cool possibly I, that was I mean that, you know, Kev on detail. I mean, this was the couple. This is a couple of months yeah. ago because he's done it for Canadian TV. I so, look forward uh, to using the Ecuadorian team in the lobby <laughs> yeah, exactly. when you go to meet yeah. Kev for a coffee. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, very safe travels, and look forward to reading the work. And sure, I guess we'll touch base. We'll catch up a lot technology, way, sure. and, and yeah. you can check in and give us your experience. But enjoy it. I mean, these are well, it's even uh, no, you can't. Your misgivings about this tournament—it's even hard to say no, that. Isn't it's it? Which language. is such a grim aspect to this whole. Ah, thing. We like can't even enjoy the thing, really. Like it's the greatest 
like it's the greatest tournament, the greatest sports event for me. But like, I mean, it's yeah. There's the there's a heavy asterisk and and that sort of a a little bit of guilt that sort of lingers there in, in any in any positive uh, discussion of it. And I should say we've spoken off air about this. You sincerely feel this. I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. Yeah, a lot of misgivings about how to cover this, what to do, how to feel about it all. Yeah, and 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 like and sometimes that can seem a little bit performative then when you start talking about it on air, you know. When it's Virtue signaling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of that, and it's no, it's like it's it's definitely very different than the discussions you're having with people coming up to. But then you're also conscious as well of knowing that this is a, like it's a great thing to be able to go and mm. do, yeah. and and sort of being very entitled, like by sort of. Uh, presenting that oh god I have to go and do this which which can also be very jarring as well yeah. like it's something I wanted to do yeah. um, but it's but it's something that you sort of to do it properly you have to go in with that uh, with your eyes open yeah to. well enjoy Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent will be chatting to you across the World Cup football on off the ball brought to you by Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BD Sport and Premier Sports Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch big games from the Women's Super League Live on Sky Sports This is News Talk